You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Things to go to, and I just am always looking for something to do with the family uh, when it comes to Christmas. And, and again, with this being, uh, man, you know, probably close to 10, 9, 10 years ago, so we loaded the kids up in the car, and I think we were going to go do a couple things, maybe do some Christmas shopping in Sioux City and uh, whatever. And, uh, but one of the things that was going to be a big highlight is we had seen a commercial advertisement, uh, advertisement from Menards, Ryan. And it sounded really exciting because they, um, they had an enchanted forest. And uh, come, come by, check out our enchanted forest. I'm like, Wow. That sounds fun. The girls will love it. I mean, uh, you know, the Enchanted Forest. And so anyway, we, we load up and uh, we're on our way to Menards uh, to start a new Christmas tradition to check out this beautiful Enchanted Forest. And uh, so we, we uh, <laughs> make our way to Menards and we go inside. And I'm just, it's, it's the Enchanted Forest, so I'm thinking it's going to be something pretty noticeable. But it wasn't when we first got there, so we walked in, and I'm still maybe looking for signs, you know, the Enchanted Forest, or maybe it's going to be real obvious. I, I knew what Menards was, but I assumed that they just maybe took the entire lumber section or outdoor area and just made it a beautiful Enchanted Forest, you know. And uh, so we walked in, and we said, hey, so where is the Enchanted Forest? We asked this young girl working there. I don't know who this girl was, Ryan, but man, she was sharp. I said, where's the Enchanted Forest? She's like, excuse me? And then right away, it's, I felt really like awkward, you know. And it's like, uh, I saw on TV that y'all had like an enchanted forest or something here. But, and she didn't know what even what it was, so it wasn't that big of a deal to her. But then her reply, though, was the best ever. This is where I said, I wish I knew her name so she could get some kind of recommendation. She said, well, we have many enchanted things here. And... Uh, but uh, anyway, that's, that's one of our favorite little story, Christmas stories since we've lived here, was going to see Menard's Enchanted Forest. And, uh, and I'll just say, it may have been a little overrated uh, uh, than what I was expecting, okay? But uh, anyway, that's it. Uh, that's my story. Just do better. I guess it's good advertising because it got us in the story, amen? Uh, all right, y'all dismissed. And uh, for those that are behind, we're going to be looking in the book of Zechariah to start with. Zechariah chapter number 9. And I want to start a new, uh, just a series for the month of December. Um, and... The thing I'm excited about the series that I'm starting, it's going to coincide with the, what I'm preaching on in the services on Sunday morning. So uh, just to give a little bit more background there, as we'll see in just a moment, but um, we're going to start by looking at the book of Zechariah, chapter number nine. I uh, hope you have your Bibles this morning. We're going to be turning through our Bibles a little bit today uh, just to see some things. And, and again, with, with me doing... Um, this leading up to this background that we're doing that's going to be kind of coinciding working together with the morning services. There'll be some crossover that you'll hear, but again, I believe that'll be good for learning and remembering. But I'll start off this morning by asking this question. If you were asked the question, 
why are there four Gospels, what would your response be? Have you ever thought why are there four, Ryan? Uh, four perspectives. Very good. Four perspectives. Yeah. Four points of view. Uh, that's for sure. Doria? Okay, so, so that's right. We're just building on this thing. Uh, because you said four perspectives. Uh, now, four roles. Four roles. Uh, so that'll be important. That's a, good, that's a good note. That's what we're going to be hitting on. I heard Matt speak up. Why four Gospels? Validity. Okay, this is a cool thing. I, I didn't write down the... Uh, uh, the historian that did this, but uh, there was a man, I think, I think he lived probably a hundred years ago. Uh, I don't know. I've, sometimes I, I read in so many different places, I forget where I read what. But there was a, a historian that had wrote about, um, basically he was writing about being able to uh, basically validate historical records and things like that. And that's uh, he actually wrote a book about the law of evidence, I believe, or the law of, um, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was used for like a hundred years in America as the resource as far as learning how to validate stories and things that were told. So he spent his lifetime doing this, but toward the end of his life, he dedicated his time to studying the Gospels under that same premise, studying the Gospels and the thing of, okay, how are these valid? And once again, uh, they are extremely valid. They're four of the most valid historical documents out there. Uh, so, th- so the absolutely validity. And I'll just throw in there before I forget. I'm, 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 I'm excited to check this out. But uh, have you ever heard of uh, J. Warner Wallace? Anybody ever heard of J. Warner Wallace? Uh, he, was, uh, uh, he used to be a cold case detective, uh, was his profession. But he's also, he was a cold case profession. Then he was a, he's a youth pastor. Well, he served as a youth pastor as well. He's a, a great guy. But he just wrote a book, uh, just finished a book about a month or so ago called uh, Cold Case... Oh man, no, no. He's already done a book on Cold Case Christianity. The, the one he just did is called uh, Person of Interest. Person of Interest. Uh, and he approaches studying Jesus Christ like he would a cold case. Um, and it's interesting. Now this part may, may initially turn you off, but he tries to prove the existence of Jesus Christ but he's not using the Bible to do it. He's just trying to go through historical records and studying it as if he's studying a case as a detective. Um, but validity, that's right. Validity is another good one. Any, th- those, those really are, are good answers. I don't know if anybody would want to add anything to those. Uh, why are there four Gospels? I'll ask you this, okay? Why are there four Gospels? Uh, have you ever heard any... Uh, Well, I'll ask this question. Have you ever asked yourself, why are there four Gospels? You ever thought that? Why are there four? Have you ever asked yourself why the differences in the Gospels? Because they are uh, different. Uh, Have you ever heard anybody be critical of the Gospels because there are four of them and they are different? You ever heard anything like that? I have. Um, But the, the... to me, the exciting thing about when I hear people trying to use the, the fact that there's four Gospels in a negative light, I say exciting, uh, it's not exciting that people think that, it's sad, but as far as the argument itself, it just proves ig- ignorance. Uh, you know, and it's just like the Lord, the Lord spoke about, you know, adding to the Word of the Lord or taking away from the Lord. The Bible says, don't do it lest you be, fa- you be found a liar. 
and be reproved of the Lord. Because uh, what people do when they do that, they're just advertising <clears throat> their ignorance. So we got some very good answers this morning, but, uh, and they are basically, I'm going to expound on those answers because they were such good answers. Uh, the four Gospels were written, and I got you in Zechariah 9, just stay there and we'll get there in just a moment. The four Gospels were written to give a, give a more complete picture of the Lord Jesus Christ and His ministry. <clears throat> if you can imagine an artist, I thought this was a good illustration, an artist who was tasked, was assigned, was commissioned to make a bust of a historic figure. Now, it's a bust of someone maybe they had never personally seen before, personally, they lived before their time, but it would be tough if they just had a one-dimensional picture to try to make this uh, bust out of. But if they had pictures from several different angles, you could get a better angle, an idea, all the way around what this person looked like. And that's kind of a good example of, of the way the Gospels work. The four Gospels give us four views of Christ, which, of course, is one of the answers that we had. They were written by different men. They were written for different audiences. That, that ex, the, the, some of these things are going to explain. They're written by different, they were written for different audiences. We will emphasize that. They were written at different times. They were written from four different perspectives. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels. And we just mentioned that a week ago. What, what does synoptic mean? I, I, love, I love studying and learning words. Somebody's about to say it, maybe. What's that? Similar, right? Sim, sim optic. S-Y-M. Uh, I'm sorry, S-Y-N. Uh, but it's still the same, the same idea. S-Y-N, optic. Optic. So you, that S-Y-N, you know, it's, it's similar. It's in sync. It's the same. Um, uh, now, it's not the exact same perspective, but just the point is, is that the first three Gospels... Uh, follow many of the same themes, highlight many of the same... Uh, they're, they, they're, more re, they're, more, they're more closely related, it seems, than the fourth gospel, the gospel of John. Um, again, something interesting, something else we mentioned about the synoptic gospels was that if you only had the synoptic gospels, there's a chance that it would change your perspective. Because how long do we know that Jesus Christ ministered on the earth? as far as uh, His public ministry. 33, 33 years He was alive, and three to three and a half of those years was when He actually did His ministry. But so, the way that we know that He, had, that he ministered for three, three to three and a half years, we, we would not know that. If you only had Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and again, not that it's the most vital thing in the world to know or anything, but again, it just adds... Um, depth, it adds perspective, uh, you could easily assume that the ministry of Jesus Christ was about a year long if you only had Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke. Uh, but, but the reason John, uh, being the autoptic, which is just, you know, it's, it's on its own, it's, uh, uh, it's one that stands out. But one of the things about it is it mentions three different Passovers that Jesus was present at. Three different Passovers. So that gives us three years for sure. 
So it's just some of those little things that I enjoy learning that, well, how do we know that? That's how we know uh, the three and a half years. Now, they, again, the, the synoptic gospels, they, they present Christ from a similar, similar viewpoint, while John uh, presents and has different emphasis from the other three. Some of the noteworthy differences between the first three gospels and the fourth is that the first three record actions that took place in Galilee. John mostly records what happens in Judea. Um, The first three Gospels concentrate on Christ's works. John concentrates a lot more on the words of Jesus. Kind of an interesting thing. In fact, uh, the the well, we'll mention that again a little bit in a little bit about the words of Jesus. But it's amazing. Uh, I believe it's like half of the gospel is actually just Jesus speaking, the actual words of Jesus. Now, whatever differences there are taken together, the four gospels make up one harmonious whole. All right. Now, I told you to go to Zechariah because we're going to start by looking at the four different perspectives, and how they go with the four different roles that were mentioned. Uh, Anybody know the roles that Doria was alluding to there? I'm going to take Doria out of this questioning for a moment because she mentioned it, so I'm assuming she knows Danny. Uh, Amen, there you go. Jesus, the the, the king, the servant, the son of man, the son of God. Um, And I went through those quickly, but we'll uh, say those again. The four roles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we think about this, I just want to stop and marvel for a moment at the Word of God. Uh, We know God's Word is inspired. Every word is what God breathed and led and guided these men to write. But He didn't do it in a robotic way. God chose the men because we see people's personalities and perspectives come out as they're inspired to write the Word of God. Because God knew who He was going to choose to write the different books of the Bible. So He spoke through their perspectives and through, a lot of times, their personalities. It's an awesome thing. But it's not like, uh, I do not believe that Matthew sat down and said, man, I know what I need to do. I need to sit down and write a a gospel that emphasizes Jesus being the King. Um, Now, That could be, because even if that were the case, we would believe that God led him in that knowledge. But I'm not so sure that he knew that's the way God was leading him, but that's the way God did it. And we'll see that. And again, if if you're you're stuck on any of this stuff, don't worry, because uh, for the next uh, couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about this, again, both in uh, our Bible study, Sunday school time, as well as in the services. But uh, you'll see a different emphasis today as we get into that. Okay, we, we started with Zechariah chapter 9, verse number 9. Okay, because this is a cool thing to me. You could write uh, at the, the heading, or if you could just mentally write this, uh, but I don't know how much you remember. If you remember like me, you'd probably do better writing it down. Um, but making a note of this, okay? Uh, we're, gonna st- we're, we're just going to do a quick, a real quick overview of the four Gospels, the four perspectives, the four roles, And then I want to talk a little bit about and do a little bit of a synopsis, a little overview of the book of Mark to start with. Okay, Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold thy king. 
Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. So if you want to give a heading for, for the book of Matthew, it would be, Behold thy king. Behold thy king. And again, we're going to go through all of that, but just to give you a quick thing here, the primary audience in the book of Matthew is the nation of Israel. It's interesting that the, the, the genealogy, the genealogies are interesting in each of these. Does anybody know, by the way, I mean, I guess we're seeing it, but um, what would you assume, or maybe what do you know, the genealogy that's given in Matthew records? The, the, the genealogy that traces all the way back to, and it's interesting, the genealogies go back to different places. Uh, now, not that they're not, not, it's not the same genealogy, but it's emphasized differently. David goes back to, it's, it's, it's connected with King David. Uh, is, it, it's showing, I mean, it goes all the way back, I believe, to Abraham, but the fact is, is that the emphasis is that he comes from the tribe of Judah. And folks, there's a really interesting um, Historical fact here too, due to the destruction of the temple, the persecution of Israel throughout the years, there is one remaining historic document that can prove who the rightful king of Israel is. And it's Matthew. That's it. So from a Jewish perspective, just from a natural perspective, if you want to find who is the rightful king of Israel, there's one historic document remaining that proves that, and it's Matthew, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew, we find Jesus as the sovereign king. The Lord prophesied through the Old Testament prophets uh, that, uh, about this sovereign king. Matthew emphasizes the fact that Jesus is the messianic savior and has come to the earth to lead his kingdom. He has a quartet of... Uh, oh man, I didn't move that around. Okay. Uh, okay. Act like that didn't happen. So, the, the book of Matthew emphasizes, and if there was a heading over the book of Matthew that went with his role, is it's, Behold thy king. Alright? Uh, now, remember, G, we're talking about one person here. He just fills all these roles, but there's an emphasis there. And there's the... There, there's the audience there. There's a reason that it's directed more toward the nation of Israel. Now, um, the next book is the book of Mark. And this is the book that we're going to look at. Uh, in, this is a book we're going to try to do a survey on. And then I'm not going to preach about the book of Mark today, but I want to preach about this heading here, okay? Psalm 42, I'm sorry, uh, Isaiah 42 and verse number 1. Isaiah 42 and verse number 1. Uh, okay, 42 verse 1. We'll get that, then I'll let somebody read that when they get there. Yep, so if you, you can look on the screen if you didn't find it in your Bible yet. Psalm 42 verse 1. Anyone? Yeah. 
Amen. All right, so, um, and I, man, I encourage you to read this. You know what? Man, we're just here in Bible study, so it won't hurt nothing with it to read a little bit of the Bible. <laughs> why, don't, why don't we uh, continue reading there? Verse number two, the Bible says, He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto, unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set it judgment, till he have set judgment in the earth. And the isles shall wait for his law. Thus saith God, the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it and the spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light to the Gentiles. And I'll just stop reading right there. But going back to that very first verse, here is the heading of Mark. Behold my servant. Behold my servant. And we'll spend more time on that in just a moment. And again, I'll be preaching. uh, But four times in the Old Testament, Jesus is referred to as the servant of Jehovah. And it's so remarkable to me uh, that as I was preparing for the message today, as well as for this, I'm emphasizing today, I, I, even, I even use the title, I, I'm even hesitant to say it. But it's true and it's right. But I, I, I use the title, A Slave for Christmas. Um, and I know that sounds weird and it sounds hard for me every time I say it because the word servant here is the word for slave. It's the same word, okay? So we don't think about that often, but Jesus Christ literally came to be a slave. To be a servant. Does that sound odd to you? When I say it, my my heart just kind of drops. I'm just like, oh, is that right? But it's right. Four times he emphasizes, uh, twice in Isaiah, I think twice in Zechariah, behold my servant, behold my slave. That's the picture that's presented of the Christ. Behold my servant. Now, again, that's emphasized in the book of Mark. Mark was written primarily for the Romans. And again, we'll do a survey over that and I'll emphasize more of this in just a moment. Matter of fact, I'm go- that's all I'm going to say about Mark right now because I plan on- that's what we're going to spend the remainder of our time on after I give you these last two. The Gospel of Luke would be under this heading. Uh, if you're still, I know you've done some turning already, but if you'd go over to Zechariah chapter 6 verse 12. Zechariah chapter number 6, verse 12. By the way, if you wanted some homework, and I know that we all do, you could study a little bit this week about the Lord Jesus' title as the branch. Because the title, the branch, is actually associated with every one of these. He's the branch, the king. He's the branch, the servant. He's the branch, the man. He's the branch, uh, that's God. He's the branch. Um, But in Zechariah 6, verse 12, The Bible says, and speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. All caps, this is a person. And he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. 
But the phrase that we have there is, Behold the man. Behold the man. That's the Gospel of Luke. Luke the physician was believed by many to be uh, a Greek individual himself. His Gospel was written especially for Greeks present uh, and presents the Lord Jesus Christ as the perfect man. As the perfect man. Um, do you think Greeks admired the idea of an ideal man? Think about their mythology. Think about their gods. Think about their sculptures. You know what Luke does? It shows Jesus Christ as the perfect man. The God-man. Uh, that's how he's presented. Um, I, I, uh, sorry, I just, I'm humoring myself a little bit because uh, anybody in here ever voice text? Anybody ever voice text? You say, where is this going? None of you do? Okay, Dawn does. Uh, Dawn voice text, and so do I. Well, for if you voice text, man, all kinds of funny stuff comes out, doesn't it? Uh, I, I've even had to, and sometimes I send it on anyway just because it's funny. Uh, but, uh, but one time, I remember trying to voice text Melanie. I, I didn't, did I send this one on? I can't remember. But uh, I was voice texting, and right when I was about to hit send, uh, I looked down at the text, and I saw whatever the first letter was, and then like a, a, a hashtag and an at and a, you know, the old comic cussing thing. When a cuss word is used, that's what it, it did not give a cuss word. It gave just like that. I mean, it was hilarious. Um, I'm saying all that to say that uh, I've been trying something new here lately, Richard, and so when I'm studying, uh, I do, I mostly type, but every once in a while, I've started saying, you know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm going to hit dictate, which is the same thing. So instead of voice texting, I'm voice writing. And so every once in a while, I look down at my notes, I've been giving them to you this morning, I'm like, what is that supposed to be? Uh, and I went back through most of it to make sure, but uh, yeah, but right now I'm on uh, Luke, and I'm like, uh, he's the perfect man, and uh, sir, with, ah, I got it though, and he served with simplicity. I got U-H, capital S-I-R, sir, but he, and he served with simplicity and dignity. Um, interesting, okay? We're emphasizing Christ as a man. Now, if we're trying to emphasize Christ as a king, we're going to emphasize that he comes from the tribe of Judah. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. We're going to emphasize, of course, a few generations down from that, David. Um, but if we're trying to emphasize that Jesus Christ is a man, what do you imagine? And we just read this, I believe, last night um, as a family. But uh, what do you think the genealogy, or who do you think the genealogy would go back to for Luke? Adam, the man, the first man. Not a Hebrew man, just a man, the man. He's not just a man, he's the first man. But Adam, it goes all the way back to Adam. It's just interesting. Uh, and Luke showed us that Jesus is the Savior of sinners. In Luke, Jesus is seen as the Savior for all mankind, and we find His humanness in instances such as the Nativity. You know, that's why there's no greater record of the birth of Jesus Christ than you, than you find in Luke 2. Uh, in fact... That's where you really find the record of the birth of Christ, right? But because, by the way, this is interesting, and I guess we'll get there, uh, but it, it'll just it'll maybe help us remember it. But that's why in, uh, in Matthew, rather than him being the humble 
baby born in a, main, a stable and laid in a manger, uh, instead of the shepherds coming to worship and adore Him, what do we have in the book of Matthew? Probably close to a couple years after His birth. We have the wise men, we have the magi, we have the, 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 the kings from the east. Or, uh, you know, of course, there's speculation. Josephus gives us some ideas of uh, what they may have been. But again, and they're presenting him these uh, magnificent gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Uh, but again, not, so, not in uh, the book of Luke. His, uh, his, his human side is highlighted. And then lastly, uh, of the four Gospels, the Gospel of John Look at Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 and verse number 9. And for this one, I just put, uh, I actually just put the phrase in particular, but Isaiah 40, and this is a messianic uh, section as well. Isaiah 40, verse number 9. If somebody gets there, they could uh, give that a read too, if they wouldn't mind, please. Amen. So the heading of the Gospel of John would be, Behold your God. And I love that. What do we got for genealogy in the book of John? Amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. All right? So God, and throughout the, the book of John, I am, I am, I am. Uh, we see Him emphasized as God in the flesh the eternal one. And uh, yeah, here's, the, here's that which I mentioned earlier. Half of the words of John's, gospels, uh, of John's gospel are the words spoken directly by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, with these four accounts emphasizing a different portrait of Jesus, we can see more of His completion, His beauty, His dimensional divinity. These four are, the most import, are, are among the most important documents in the world. Uh, they do not teach, uh, they do not give us the life of Christ. Now this is interesting, before I move on and get into Mark. These do not give us, this is not a biography of Jesus. Really, is it? I mean, it's not, it's, it's not like, you know, the instance you think of a biography of a person, it's this thick and it just tells all these things about their life. If we're going to compare it in literature, it would be more like a memoir. When we think about the life of Christ that's given there. Because, here's interesting, this is cool. The emphasis of each gospel is heavily, heavily weighed, not so much toward the life of Christ, but toward, anybody want to guess? Not the life, but the death of Christ. Because certainly the life of Christ doesn't save, save it's the death of Christ and, and the resurrection of Christ. Matthew gives eight chapters to the Passion Week. Eight chapters to the Passion Week. Mark gives six chapters. That's six out of 16 for the book of Mark. Chapters that are given to the Passion Week. Luke, uh, Luke gives five and a half chapters, while John gives ten chapters. Again, about half of the book of John is not only is half the book of John, the, the, the word spoken, half the word spoken in the book of John are the direct words of Christ. Also, half of the account that's being given is the Passion Week. 
is the week that Jesus leading up to Jesus being crucified. It's just interesting to think about these things. Because as, as important as the life of Christ is, the death on the cross of Calvary is much more important. It, it, and of course, we had to live in order to die. But you understand the emphasis there. He wrought redemption for lost sinners. Jesus did not die as a martyr for a noble cause. He died as a redeemer for sinful men. His death was not an accident, but His death was an accomplishment. And that's why the emphasis of the Gospels spends such a a large amount of time getting to the fact that He is going to die on the cross and that He's going to rise again. Uh, Any questions or comments before we move on from that? Okay, so we're going to do a, uh, just, just a survey of the, of the Gospel of Mark today. And uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 45 is the key verse in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, and I'll read it to you. I'll give you some time to get there. It's a good verse. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, the Bible says, For even the Son of Man, by the way, that's, that's a distinction that you'll find in Mark Uh, quite a bit, the Son of Man, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. So remember, the emphasis is the servant of Jehovah. He is the servant. He's the slave. He's the one coming with a job. And in the service, we're going to be emphasizing His job, that which He was working primarily toward, if you will, But He did not come to be ministered to, but He came to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. Okay, so quickly, uh, the author. Who do you think the author of the Gospel of Mark is? Yes, Mark. Uh, You better get those easy ones, amen? Uh, But more specifically, who? now the Bible doesn't say for sure, but historically, who do we believe to be? But more specifically, Mark was not one of the apostles. Uh, we, there's many that believe, by the way, there's, a, there, there's some funny verses in the Bible, isn't there? Do you, do you ever just read the Bible and you find a verse in the Bible or you find details in the Bible and you're wondering, now why did God give us that detail? And then there's some of these other details that you wished He would have gave you more on. There's a detail in the Gospels where, uh, and, I, and I, should have thought, I should have looked this up before I... Um, uh, brought it up, but th- that's just not the way I do. Uh, but, uh, but some believe, many believe that the, 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 the strange little verse that says that there was a young man that ran through the streets naked. You might know that verse. If you, that's one to memorize now. You, wanna, you can always use that one. Uh, but many believe that was Mark. But again, I'll ask, who, as far as, from biblical record, is there any, any ideas who this Mark is, or have you heard that? Well, it's believed that he is John Mark. John Mark. Okay? Uh, and I make the distinction because uh, John Mark um, was an associate of the, the Apostle Peter, and you can see, uh, we believe, again, Mark did not, Mark was not walking with Jesus when these things happened, but Peter was. And it's believed that these are things that were conveyed to Peter, but again, more importantly, conveyed to Mark through the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, but in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, 
This is a survey, so I'm going to try to go fairly quick. So, but in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, the apostle Peter refers to Mark as an associate and almost as his spiritual son. It seems like this is a man that he had taken under his wing. Now, John, the, the, the John Mark, by the way, again, which is interesting because John is a Jewish name. Mark is a Roman name. Uh, John is Jewish. Mark is uh, Roman. It's believed that he's the one. Number one, he would have been a wealthy kid. He was kind of a rich kid. Uh, his mom, in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, was a wealthy and prominent Christian who had a home to where she would actually host the church. So they had church services in the home of Mary, uh, John Mark's mom. Uh, so somewhere along the line, obviously, Mark was around some great, uh, some, he was around the apostles. And so Mark joined Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, but not on the second. Because if you remember, on the first missionary journey, they had no sooner got to the, 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 the land of the Gentiles and the land of, uh, that they were uh, uh, traveling into to where Mark all of a sudden was like, you know what, I want to go home and see my mama. I miss my bed, I miss my home, I miss everything. Uh, the Bible says that, that Mark uh, left. The Bible says that he went back home. He did not continue on the journey. So by the time you get to the second missionary journey, you got Paul and Barnabas again. Well, here's old Mark again. And Mark, uh, and again, there would, there would be these guys that would travel with Paul and Barnabas, later Paul and Silas, but they would just serve, man. They were just there to minister. They weren't there. And, and man, I wish we would get more of this, uh, the, the picture of the servant, that, that, uh, that Jesus is the example. But here's the thing. Barnabas says, hey, well, uh, what do you think, Paul? We need to bring Mark with us. And Paul's like, uh, no. The quitter? That guy? No. We are not bringing him with. I'm not wasting my time with that guy. All right? Uh, Barnabas, Barnabas, man, the son of consolation. Man, he was, a, uh, he was just a great guy. But ain't, that's, there's so, so many lessons we could get through here. Uh, surveys are not my thing. Did you know that? <laughs> I'm struggling on this because I'm sitting here thinking, how are you going to get through the book of the Bible when you're still talking about this? But, uh, but Barnabas and Paul, they were two different guys. And Paul's like, no, we're not bringing that guy. Uh, Barnabas says, uh, no, we are bringing this guy. Barnabas stood up for him. And the Bible says that the dissension, the fight, the argument between these two great men of God, God was so sharp that they separated. They separated. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just so many interesting things in that. Paul went on to do great things for God, but guess what? So did Barnabas and so did Mark. And it's pretty cool to think about Mark's emphasis. When, when God said, I, I'm going to use someone to emphasize my servant, my faithful slave. I'm going to use someone to emphasize the, 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 the servant nature of Jesus Christ, the one who just gets the job done. Who am I going to pick? I think I'm going to pick that quitter. I think I'm going to pick that guy that quit, but has got it right and wants to get back on it again. I'm going to let him write about what it means because Mark did. And by the way, 
Later on, Paul mentions Mark again. And the last thing that we have recorded that Paul ever said about Mark was, hey, and bring, bring Mark with you because he's profitable to the ministry. He had proved himself. So it's just a cool thing to think about who the writer was, but I don't want to emphasize as much. There's great lessons through all of it. But when we think about Mark, uh, it, it appears that the, the bulk of his emphasis is toward the Romans and Roman believers. And now, when I say that Matthew was you know, written more directed toward the Jews and Mark toward the Romans and Luke to the Greeks and, of course, John to the world, uh, it doesn't mean that, oh, well, I guess I don't need to read the Mar- Gospel of Mar- Matthew. I'm not, a, uh, I'm not a Jew. No, it's just you can see the emphasis there. Uh, and that's what we're talking about here, the, the Roman emphasis of the book of Mark. Um, and I, I'll, just, I'll just highlight a couple of these things. I, uh, this, is, this is a book I opened up just a, a little bit uh, before. Um, give me just a second here. A, a couple of the cool things about the, the Gospel of Mark, and I'll come back to the Roman part in just a moment, but is the servant nature. If you just go back, and we're not going to do it, but if you read Romans chapter, I mean, Mark chapter number 1, man, you cover some ground in a hurry. You're getting John, you're, you're getting, here comes Jesus, you're getting John the Baptist, you're getting the temptation in the wilderness, and you're not even out of the first chapter yet. And in the, in the Gospel of Mark, there is no genealogy whatsoever. There's no reference to Mary, there's, or to, as far as the, 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 the virgin birth of Christ, there's no reference to none of that. You want to know why? Because the genealogy of a slave is not important. Doesn't really matter. It's not emphasized there. Also, the the moving nature, Jesus Christ being a faithful servant. He was on a mission. And so, 17 times in the book of Mark, you'll find the word immediately. 19 times, you'll find the word straightway. Straightway. I mean, it is all getting it done. It's moving. It's going. It's going in a hurry. Um... And it's interesting also because the second gospel contrasts the the divine power of Jesus Christ with the depths of human feelings and emotions. There is more spoken about the emotions of men and women and those of the Lord Himself in the book of Mark than any other book of the Bible. That's interesting. You, you get, if, if you're interested in that, if you want to get a deeper picture of Christ's emotions, read the book of Mark. If anyone wants to know about uh, Jesus, on the, uh, uh, Jesus on the inside, how, wh- how He felt, how He thought, Mark emphasizes these. We read of Christ's grief, anger, love, pity, wonder, size, hunger, weariness. All of these are emphasized in the book of Mark. As the Son of Man, He came and the Son... Uh, he, he came and the son and heir he was sent. The first, uh, uh, you know, Matthew had to do with his ministry, but Mark has to do with the mission of Christ. 28 times in Mark, Jesus is called the son. He's the son of God, having to do with his you know, deity, his heir of right as all things, but he, he's, at, he's also referred to as the son of man, having to do with his relationship with us. In this gospel, uh, Christ's holiness is in the midst 
of a sinful world. In, in, in the midst of a world of death, light comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. But Mark contains only one quotation. Here's one of the emphasis about the Roman side. Mark contains only one quotation from the prophetic writings. And it's this, As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. Uh, there's, there's only four parables in the Gospel of Mark as compared with Matthew. All four have a service theme. This is interesting. In the book of Mark, 20, at least 20 miracles are performed. That's more than the other Gospels. Why? Because He's working. He's doing something. He's accomplishing things. He's the one doing it. Uh, there's no sermon on the mount in the book of Mark. Because the servant issues no laws and gives no directions. He is just straight working. The Gospel of Mark has fewer Old Testament quotations and allusions uh, than uh, it has 63 quotations or allusions to the Old Testament. Matthew has 128, Luke has uh, about 100. It gives a number, this is interesting, it gives a number of Aramaic words and their interpretations. Um, and again, there's about seven or eight of those that I won't take time to give you. Uh, he actually uses a couple Latin words uh, in the Gospels. Executioner, pots, praetorium. <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of fascinating thinking about some of these uh, emphases that he does here. But So in the Gospel of Mark, it's showing us the suffering servant. And again, remember, it's all heading to this. Jesus, He's working along the way. He's fulfilling the will of the Father. He's serving people. He's blessing people. And by the way, He's winning. I, I mentioned having the temptation of Christ. Uh, basically, the temptation of Christ was pretty much in short order because it basically says Jesus defeated Him. It wasn't anything long and drawn out. It was the idea that Jesus, there was no power that was greater than Him. And we know that. But it's just emphasized there. He's, um, he's, he's facing all challenges and He's just keeping on going. He's keeping on with the will of the Father. He's got His face set like a flint toward the cross. Because that's why, that's why Jesus, this suffering servant, came. He came to die for the sins of all men. This gospel is unique because it emphasizes his actions more than his teachings. It's telling us what he did more than what he taught. Again, it's simply written and it moves quickly from one episode in the life of Christ to another. Uh, again, we already mentioned the genealogy. Uh, let's see. Mark's account is not just a collection of stories, but a narrative written to reveal that Jesus is the Messiah. Not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. And that's one of the cool things about, about the idea of behold my servant as well, is Jesus Christ as the servant of Jehovah, the slave who came to fulfill and accomplish a mission and a job. We started off by re reading Isaiah 42. And if you went back there, he says, Behold my servant. And in very short order, he begins talking about, uh, matter of fact, at the end of verse 1, it says, He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. And now I know when we read the word judgment, we always think, you know, bringing down the hammer judgment. But that's not what it's talking about here. He's talking about bringing, uh, 
giving a chance to the Gentiles, really. He's bringing judgment to them. He's bringing a message to them. And so the emphasis of Jesus being the servant of Jehovah is coming to die on the cross for the sins of the world. The book of Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels. Um, And he seems to write his account of the Gospel of Christ, again, with a sense of urgency. In Mark, many times Jesus exercises actions, again, rather than words. And from a Roman perspective, that would be something that they could appreciate. He portrays Jesus as a man of power and of miracles, who could set aside the laws of nature at will. We talked about the 20 miracles. Yet this powerful Son of God was the suffering servant who would give up His life as a ransom for all mankind. Uh, This is an interesting thing here, talking again about the Roman perspective. Mark does not deal with any Jewish laws. And again, he only quotes the one prophecy. And on a number of occasions... Uh, and again, I had this uh, all written down in there, but I believe it's at no less than, say, about eight occasions or so that Mark explains Jewish customs, explains a Jewish word. Because again, the idea is the, re- the primary readers of this initially would have been Roman Christians, Gentile Christians. And so they wouldn't have understand some of the uh, terminology. So literally, he was explaining uh, several of those. And uh, yeah, let's see here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So ten times he's explaining or clarifying a, a Jewish word or a Jewish um, tradition or something to that effect. So the four Gospels, to me, it's a powerful thing to think about that in the Old Testament, we had four different Four major different things said about the Messiah who would come. Four major prophecies about the Messiah who would come. Uh, I, I remember reading in one place that there were some rabbis who believed, that they weren't sure, but they had a hard time even reconciling these four roles of one Messiah. And that there's some that thought, well, maybe there's going to be more than one. Because there was these four distinct roles When the Messiah came, the branch came, the Bible says, Behold your king. Okay, so he's going to be a king. By the way, the Jews were probably the most excited about that. He's going to be a servant. He's going to be a slave. I'm not too sure how the Jews felt about that one. Uh, He's going to be a man, which I think they could appreciate. He's going to be somebody that we can see, somebody that we can know in the book of Luke. He's going to be God. I don't know that they could wrap their minds around that. Uh, fully. But the fact of the matter is, is there's four distinct prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, and there's four distinct Gospels that emphasize each of those four prophecies. And so, uh, so today we're going to con- con- continue considering just a moment, Behold my servant, the servant of Jehovah, a slave for Christmas. And again, this is a perspective that was difficult for the Jews to embrace. And it's a little bit hard for us to embrace too, but there's a great, great uh, point in all of that that we'll see uh, this morning as well. Amen? All right, any questions or comments before we move on this morning? Clarifications? All right. Uh, Hey, well, thank you so much for your attention. Thanks for coming. 
and uh, we'll try to get started back right up at 11. <laughs> 